Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. Uh, I, James McSorley, I'm here with Mark Schofield to talk about some basketball games, some that we watched, some that we might not have. How's it going, Mark? Some that might have been birthday collateral, I'll call them that. Yes. Yeah, it's going good. In my defence, the games on Sunday were on at a time that I was busy trying to have a nice time. Having a nice time very successfully, but I mean... (laughs) I wasn't trying to watch wheelchair basketball games on my birthday because I was in Barcelona um, eating and drinking and having a nice time That's with my great. wife. So I watched bits and pieces of some games. I've watched entire games. I even played in one. But yeah, so I, I might be a little bit thin on the observations this week, but you could probably say I am most weeks anyway. <laughs> so yeah. We should... Um... We should cut that, cut this intro and put this audio like side by side with other ones and see like how much more or less insightful we are. <laughs> I don't know if I want to find out that I contribute as much when I watch seven games as I do when I've watched two in full and three in part. I don't know if that's something I want to know. Well, but well, don't, don't tell us which ones you have and haven't watched, and we'll see if it's obvious from the um, cherry-picking of the stats to make your point. Oh, God. Okay, cool. Right. So the first game we're going to talk about was a midweek game. We had a Thursday afternoon game this week, which was strange but fun for people who don't do anything during the day and like watching wheelchair basketball. <laughs> Me. Maybe some <laughs> other people listening to this. Um, but yeah, Mark, did you get to watch this at the time, or... Did your real job impede it? No, I watched this. I think I watched the first half of this as it was happening, and then I came back and watched the second half later. Uh, but this was... So Gran Canaria came across to play Illunion. I don't know what the reason for it being on a Thursday was. I assume this was a rescheduled game from earlier in the it year. It was, yes. Yeah, and there wasn't a weekend that worked for both teams, that would be my guess. Um, so yeah, this was an Illunion win... 76 to 60 and this was a really strange game I think it's fair to say um, a slightly out of form Grand Canaria team is probably the easiest way to describe this for sure yeah. um, and also like very good contributions from the sort of the pieces that we say will make the difference in Nil Union beating someone good or not a lot of the time like you got Great game from Bill, a great game from Amadou. Um, and like Greg was the only person who didn't shoot well out of their like out of those guys, yeah. Terry 11 from 17. So you kind of got close to what Illunion can do at the same time as underperforming. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was it was real like clash of styles kind of stuff for me because we, I think it was even last week, we came on here and talked about how. Jorge Salazar has actually been really good defending while giving up, you know, giving up size from kind of a mobile, smallish big to regularly defending actual big guys and giants. And I think that's worked for Gran Canaria in a lot of cases and apparently either doesn't against Bill Latham or didn't against Bill Latham in this circumstance. Yeah, had a hell of a game, man. I was actually speaking to um, a couple of the Gran Canaria players were in Barcelona for the last couple of days because they didn't have a game this weekend. But I was speaking to a couple of them and that was one of the things Jorge Salazar was saying. He was like, wow, like 
it's not often that people can push me around, but <laughs> Bill's a big dude. So is Amadou. Yeah. Um, both, as I said, like both those guys had unbelievable games, like Bill at 24, Amadou 17 on eight from 12, which makes a real difference. Terry getting 25 is what Terry does. Like, I think he's actually averaging 24 a game. So yeah, I think Terry's up to being top scorer in the league now, at least as of last week and presumably still as, as of this yes, week. He is. Um, so yeah, that's what Terry does. And like, as I said, Greg with a quiet eight. But yeah. I don't yeah, know, man. I think part of it is just like maybe travel in to play at 2.30 on a Thursday. You better come ready. And I'm not sure they did. Like Luigi and Ari both had pretty quiet games. Three from eight, three from 11. Um, Jorge Rose and Jorge all shot the ball well, but only put 54 shots up in 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, not. I think the great the great kind of telltale sign of this game not being a typical performance of both teams is that Gran Canaria struggled with the Alunion press, which if if anyone is a betting man or woman, if you put money, if you tell me you put money on that one, you're lying. Um, I think we saw Gran Canaria get pressed a little bit by Madiba in the first, was that the first week back after Christmas? I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and they even managed that okay, and that was without Jorge Sanchez. And yeah, Elunion certainly aren't built to press, and they don't ever play like they assume they're built to press. But they seem to find a matchup that worked for them in this one. Quite what triggered them to think they could carry this off? I it don't know. But like that to be right. <laughs> yeah, they got it done. Like I think it was it was last quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, they they conceded thirteen and a quarter after 20 in the third, like they, they figured it out, but obviously they had to, they, they pulled Terry for that, which is you're pulling a guy who's got you 25 in 31 minutes, but yeah, really they played off. And I was surprised that, that Grand Canaria couldn't seem to figure it out. And I think it's one of those cases of like good basketball teams playing other good basketball teams. You're not pressing to get eight second goals or anything. It's kind of, you get, the ball gets over the halfway line in the hands of someone who normally doesn't have it above the three-point line. Then you get into a weird two-man game and arms are tired and heads yeah. aren't getting the oxygen that they do if you just walk the ball up. And yeah, that's think, kind of you're trying to like make people uncomfortable more than anything else. And yeah, it, I think the biggest consequence of it was that, like you say, kind of get you get the offense initiated late. And I think. Rose particularly is a very sweet spot shooter where she yeah. Rose is deadly within her range. And I think that drops quite sharply when you push the screens out another couple of feet or give them less time to establish the kind of edge of the key screen and roll setup that Rose regularly goes for. And I think you saw that a lot. And that's probably why Rose Jorge and other Jorge were probably relatively low down in the um, shot attempts column. Yeah, but I think that's the whole team was like, well, yeah, there that's is. what I think is interesting like 54 shots in a game compared to 65. Like, yeah, that's gonna hurt you, obviously. But a yeah. lot of it was like offensive rebounds, and which which goes to show like the, the Grand Canaria thing of like they've got a lot of like average size across the board. Like, obviously, they don't play anyone small, but 
Salazar plays bigger than he is a lot of the time. And obviously that's going to like, that'll get you at some points if you're playing against a Namadu and a Bill who are intent on getting inside. And yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Like I've seen him, I've seen him defend guys far bigger than him and do it well and pulled on 16 boards in a game. But yeah, the, it seemed that Bill and Amadou kind of got where they wanted a little bit. Th- this whole thing kind of strikes me as every NBA playoff series ever where they're like, oh, well, this team has this one guy who is definitely a good defensive matchup on this one guy from the other team. And it's like, well, yeah, he is. But what are you planning on doing when he is like defending literally anybody else? And I think that was kind of the Illuminion thing was that Terry obviously generates good looks for the bigs and Salazar was about the one hope that Gran Canaria had and can obviously only be in one place at once. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, I think this was a was a convincing Illunion performance. And I think they showed a couple more wrinkles here that I, I know myself I've doubted whether they have them this year or or whether they were just kind of this is what we are and we'll just roll it out and see how it goes. I don't think we'll see the press from them too often, but you never know. Yeah, like yeah, they kind of pulled out the press on one end of the floor and the other end they kind of went, they ran a couple of like two-man game one side of the floor, shooter behind a double screen on the weak side with a double screen being a big and a one ready to seal off. I like they ran out some interesting stuff. And obviously, I also just think they played some really, really good defense, which is good to see. But yeah, yeah man, like this is the thing of like this is, like on paper, Alunion should be able to just it should be able to get it done at any level and playing like this, they probably can. But yeah, <laughs> yeah man, we'll see. Yeah. Should we shift on? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay, so up next, we've got Madiba Extremadura 73 and Sergius Burgos 55. Did yes, you have. see any of this one? Uh yeah, the first. Uh, first half. Um, so yeah, this is the repeat of the Mark putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> the return fixture is the damn yeah. sight more respectable than it was at that point. And yeah, we should, game is quite good. We should point out that um, Burgos were playing without Lee Fryer, who I don't know what his reason was for not being in this game. Yeah, um, not a clue. Hope he's all right. I, I wonder if it's like anyone who's missing. My first thing is like, ah, COVID probably, but. Uh, might not be. Hope he's all right. Yeah. But yeah. So Burgos playing without Lee, uh, they were getting pressed fairly heavily as well. Uh, there was some Gim and Macek get over the half and just don't wait for the other three guys and see if they can bust the two man. And they did a couple of times. And it was like these, these look like the, if you were to rank, find me the least two mobile people who could still have a shot at breaking a Madiba press, it would probably be these guys. Um, <laughs> but they, yeah, I don't know. They, Gim is obviously like just such a threat against the press because he, as soon as he's established, basically nobody can guard him because he's gigantic. Um, gigantic. And he's like, he's quick as anything and he's heavy. Yeah. Which is uh, like but, one of these people that being a little bit heavier seems to benefit him massively because yeah. like he's able to get himself going and it's so hard to get in front of that. Yeah. I, I was thinking this, you know how it's obviously NBA All-Star Week coming up and they do all the skills challenges and stuff. Yes. I was thinking, could we do like some incredibly niche wheelchair basketball ones? Because I would like 
a Gim versus Lalo from Mercia and be like, how the hell did that guy fit through that gap skills contest? Because they yeah. might they might be the two. The night bus challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, no. Um, the story, one of the things from this game that like I saw, I think I watched the first half and then I also watched like some of Ayaka's clips and stuff. Phil, four from five from three. three yeah, from that was big. Like just one of them from like not just a little bit behind the line as well, man. Yeah. Ended up with, what was it, 18, 10, and 7. Yeah. The hell of a game, man. Um, yeah, Phil played really well, man. And then John Hernandez with 23 points, 11 rebounds as well. Yeah. And, yeah, Madiba just kind of... Burgos obviously missing a bit of mobility. Would have struggled anyway, I think. But missing Lee's mobility were very victim to cuts and... Transition out of the um, transition out of the press break and stuff like that, and I think Burgos hung around a little bit enough to. There were several points in the game where it was like, well, they're they're like six straight points away from this being interesting, but I think Madiba kept them at arm's length for basically everything from the first quarter onwards, more or less. Yeah, I think there is a thing as well of like. Burgos kind of hang around in games like this from like tough shot making that he's like sustainable once in a blue moon and that's when you get an upset but when you see them hanging around at a certain point because they're launching like Maciek on the spin right baseline yeah (laughs) although like Maciek from the right baseline like I have no right to say that that's not (laughs) you know what I mean like that that's a good shot no matter what at this point probably but there's a lot of like late clock game just throwing up some post ups because they've got to go. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of like you play 23 and a half seconds of defense, they put one up and you're content to be like, all right, man, so yeah, that's, that's sure, a big sure. one. Fair enough. But yeah, I yeah, think, I think- once again, you come to, you come to a Maniba game, you watch the game, you go to the stats afterwards, and everyone's like up there in shooting percentage because they will put a two or a three-man press on nearly anyone, be disruptive, get steals and get layups or short post-ups all the time. And that's when they're absolutely flying. Yeah, I think you've nailed it there. This game was kind of the difference in sustainability of easy shot attempts versus not easy shot attempts. When you phrase it like that, the kind of 18-point difference, you know, Ten, nine or ten made baskets from running in easy ones versus putting prayers up is like that's very easily quantifiable when you look at the stat sheet. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you can look at like the you can look at shot charts and stuff, and there's a whole lot of green for Burgos just inside the three point line. Like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of like, ah, this is gonna go. But if yeah. they'd if they'd moved each of those back a couple of feet, they might have just won it by c- cumulative three point shooting. Yeah, that's where the that's where the press gets you, I yeah. guess. Like you're kind of you get it's what we spoke about for the last game where you get over and it's late clock situation. Obviously, ball gets into Kim's hands. Someone who is big and mobile, probably playing for Madiba, gets a chair on you, and you've got to throw up some stuff. And fair play to him because he makes a hell of a lot of them, but. Yeah. I, I actually have a theory with Maciek that he might be the his highest percentage. Um, like if you were to if you were able to divide shot quality up into like 
sections of the shot clock, I think Matchek's highest percentage might be from like zero to six seconds remaining. Because I think he might be one of the best shooters in the world where he's like, well, I have to shoot this. Otherwise it's a turnover and just puts it up. Like, no worries. <laughs> I think, think he might be the best shooter in the world. At, well, I need to put this shot up anyway. I may as well see if it'll go in. Yeah. Right. Shall we rattle on? All right. Let's do it. So next game was Murcia, 65. Fundación Aliados, 51. <sighs> Did you watch this game? I turned this on while I was bouncing around between the other games, and at the end of the first quarter, it was 17-6 to Valladolid. And I was like, oh, this is actually quite good for me because I'm gonna, they're going to get a win racked up and I'm going to be able to come on here and record and not have to roast them. <laughs> and then they scored 17 points in the first quarter and then they scored 17 across the second and third quarters combined. And Mercia kind of took the lead and never let it go from there. Um, so this was some tough sledding. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mercia are not amazing, but are definitely good enough to beat underperforming teams. I think yeah. with the new configuration of oh, for sure. Hafley and um, Lalo Prieto that we've talked about. So, yeah, they've just kind of big win for them because they've kind of caught Vidalid on the on the backslide for the last few weeks. And I think Vidalid will probably, well, I would hope they were very much expecting that this would be their best shot at a win they've had for a while and might have for some time. Um, and yeah, most of you were just kind of there for the fight, man. So nothing to say, <laughs> nothing to say on this other than, other than good for them. Um, Lalo with 15, Jose Marion with 15, Halfley with 11. Doesn't sound a lot, but then Maxi Ruggeri and Yelmer and what's this other guy's name? Uh, Salzman is his last name. Yes. They were 15, 14, and 12. So those top three scoring totals basically cancel each other out. And then there was 11 from, is the Joaquin Robles is the little double amp from Mercia, right? He, he finished with eight. Yeah. Yeah, he was kind of not the difference in the game on his own, but was. I think Robles, sorry, hold on. Double up. Yes. He wasn't there the first game we played them. He's right. the he's the ball handling forward. Yeah, that, that's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm he... unsure of how many legs he has, is, is okay. what I'm saying, because I've never played against him. Fair. Um, yeah, he was kind of, he only shot four from 15, but he chipped in eight and. That was kind of enough, but Mercia got like twos and fours from a couple more people than Vidalid did, and it wound up to a 14-point win, which is kind of feels like it should have been close than it is looking back at this, and it certainly doesn't answer the question of how Mercia got back into the game and double digits ahead. But no. weird game, man. Vidalid just don't don't have it, man. They've they brought this Canadian guy. Wesley, I can't remember his surname. Wesley Johnson is his name, maybe. It says Wesley Andrew on the stats because Spain. Um, but <laughs> Spain. yeah, he, they've brought him over and he's like playing only 10 minutes a game or whatever. And I think maybe they were expecting a little shot in the arm, like an adrenaline boost when he turned up. And I don't know if they've got that. And obviously, Adrian Perez is still out. Yeah. That's about all there was to this one. Keep on yeah. trucking, Viadolid. You'll get one. 
not a lot going on. Yeah, fair enough. It sounds like you're patronizing them at this point. Well, I don't really, I can't come on. You're like, I don't know if it sounds like I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't, I can't come on and roast them again. But I would have thought they would have got this one because they've lost badly to much better teams than them prior to this week. And I think, would you say they're better than Mercier on paper? Uh, Minus Perez, maybe it's pretty even. Yeah, it's 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 about that at this yeah. point. Yeah. Mercier um, in their current configuration as well. Yeah. I would have if you'd have told me beforehand Mercier were 14 points better than Vidalid, I would have found that a little bit strange, but that did turn out to be the case. So we probably won't get to the bottom of this by pondering it further because I don't think Vidalid have given us many answers to anything uh-huh. over the last couple of weeks. Well, I'm about to play Mercier, so maybe we'll I'll figure out a little bit more. Yeah. I, I hope out. so. Shout out Mercia, man. They've been they've been at least entertaining enough to watch recently. Yes. Right. Up next. So I don't know if you've heard of these guys, but Bid Ideac, Bilbao 71, 57 for Fundacion, Las Rosas. Who Can you tell me anything about this one? Yeah. So obviously Las Rosas sort of down the bottom end of the league um, we were and will be without Asier Garcia for the foreseeable future he's had an operation um, think he's doing well recovering yeah best wishes obviously I say this as if I don't speak to him I say this as if like one he doesn't listen to this and two I, I speak to him off here but yeah um, so that obviously anyone who's seen Bilbao play that kind of changes things a little bit but um the story of this game was David Maurice had 32 points on 32 shots, apparently. Although I th- I thought he had 36. I don't know if the I don't know what the crack is, but like if the stats are on the money or whatever. But 32 seemed seemed about right because I was watching I was watching the game and I was like, there's no way he has 30 points on exactly 30 shots. And then he ran a layup in towards the end of the game. So I think 32 is right. Oh yeah, fair enough. But six from 11 threes. My guy was launching, but (laughs) we we also won by 14 and he had 32. So it's not like he's launching and finished with seven from like 35 shots or anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, man, he he was letting it fly. Um, This game was considering he had 32 and Chema had 17. So that's 49 of your guys, 71 points. This was these guys, the Bilbao originals, being like, "Hey, we're not just Asier Garcia, you know. We can, we can stand on our own." It's fu- funny that this happened after Tom was on our last episode, and he's like, "Hey, one of the greatest games ever was when Asier and Tarek were both out, and David and Gemma were like, hey, now is our chance.'" <laughs> it's basically the same thing this week. <laughs> yeah, no man, it was it was fine. Um, I, uh, yeah. I I keep I've kept my one air ball per game average up, which is nice. Oh, I didn't um, see that. I'm not terrible, and I'm not I'm not developing a complex. It's fine. Uh, nah, man, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, this this team is like we we had a, we had a nice time, and it was fun being like, how many shots is David going to have shot by the end of this? <laughs> I was just like. Go for 40, go for 40, go for 40. Uh, <laughs> Not points, shots. <laughs> like, at, what, at what point did you guys know that was going to be the, the counting start of this game? Did he come out hot and shoot like eight times in the first five minutes? 
Uh, I don't know this. Like, I don't know the specifics, but like, our offense was for sure initiated at that point, and they were content to not jump anyone. So, yeah, that's what you got to do, man. And like, we obviously we won, so yeah. fine. Like, I'm I'm team. Like, hey, just pull it. If you're not jumping, we'll try and get some stuff in transition. But yeah. if you get down there five on five and no one's jumping, it's got to go. Other side of the ball, they're kind of made up of big guys who aren't that quick who are excellent at hitting tough shots none more than christian gomez who was 10 from 16 on all shots that i was like what is it oh fair enough that went in like a lot of like your kind of your bench is being like good day as it goes in you're like oh yeah fair enough like yeah i do do always wonder with gomez because he's always had the same habits where I think it was in his Grand Canaria years where he used to play the middle a lot. And if he ever got like a short guy on him, he would just post them up from the free throw line, like before even initiating the offense. I always wonder with him like shooting drills in like club training or individually, is everyone else like rolling and just shooting little like bank shots from the edge of the key to get their touch? And he's like, hey, what do you mean you're shooting these with either no or some positive momentum. It's like, why aren't you guys doing like an alternate hands backwards pull, getting the ball and then trying to bank it from the baseline? Um, well, here's a story that you will love then. I, I always remember going past the Argentinian uh, men's team at Worlds, it must have been. And they were doing their like, you know, where you like every, every team has a training session and you're not allowed in the room. Yeah. So we were like just pushing past their court to get to our court. And I looked over and all their forwards were taking like contested fade away. <laughs> but like the defender would like push their chair. And I was like, how oh, could this possibly be conducive to getting good touch for a tournament? But like that's that must they must call that the Christian Gomez drill. But yeah, he's he's a giant and I've played against I played against him last year and then he showed up and was like, oh, he's massive. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, they're they're all right, and yeah. I I had a laugh at one point. One of our guys got I don't remember who it was. One of our guys got wiped out in transition. And they called it non-sportsman like because the ball was ahead of everyone in someone's hands. The person, like the last man, wasn't fouled, but the, a foul was committed when someone was going to run a layup and someone got wiped out. Uh, someone was like someone who will not be named on the other team was like, yeah, but for God's sake, if that's the case, then there's about eight unsportsman likes a game. And I was like, well, yeah, there probably is at this point. Like that is the most, like there are bad unsportsman likes handed out all the time because there are gray areas. And there is this one that is literally dependent on the physical placement of people. Yeah. And so it's completely black and white, but I just had a laugh. Like for God's sake, how is that? That is the most unsportsmanlike thing of all time. Like, what are you talking about? But yeah, man, not a whole lot to talk about here. David went off, which was fun to be a part of. What um, a man. And they are a lot of older guys that can hit tough post-ups. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Shall we go on to the next one then? Yes. So this was CDL Lunion 85 and Sep. 67 for Ibo Kansa and Viv. So this one was a seven-point game at halftime as I was um, flicking on through and catching bits and bobs of the games. 
I saw this one and I was like, is this the hypothetical game we always talk about? Because we always say, can Alejos and Fabian Romo, can they carry Vigo for 40 minutes of shot making, similar to what we talked about with Burgos? And they at least did a decent job for 20 minutes. And then I think there was a real fatigue factor with Romo specifically. Because um, I think all of near enough, all of his made shots, he was three from eight from two and four from nine from three. And I think he made one, two and one, three in the second half. And they were both in like the opening two minutes. And he was more or less an offensive non-factor from that point onwards. Yeah, um, yeah, I I did not see this game, so yeah. fair enough. Um, take, sorry, guys. Take but, my word for it. Yes, I will. What I was going to ask you is, like, you get a good Alejos game and a good Romo game. Like, what is Vigo's ceiling? Like, um, can you get... Can you get that good a game from both of them considering that you can probably start doubling no I think this is the problem isn't it we've seen I think I can't remember if it was last week or the week before but they were missing uh, Julio Villas and Christian Seidel kind of played the third guy pressure release valve and was like five from 22 or something really rough so it, theoretically it, if they're having a good enough game for one or both of them to get doubled and their other guys shoot okay, then their ceilings may be all right, but they had Vilas back for this game, and he was one from seven. And Sadal himself was actually six from nine for 12 points in 17 minutes, which is not terrible going. Um, they, I think this game was more a case of them, once they kind of stopped making the tough shots, they hadn't really been able to stop Elunion anyway. Um, and we're kind of hanging with them. And I think that fell out um, when, particularly when Romo's shot stopped going, but he made some huge ones, man. Um, yeah, I would feel it's funny because Vigo have always played kind of three bigs and two lows. And now they've kind of gone away from that. And I almost feel like they would be better if they embraced that again, because if they had a third big who would play inside consistently, they might get more consistent production if their yeah. shooters were getting heavily pressured. But Vilas is kind of a dumped-down guy. He's like a, a medium-sized three. Yeah. And Seidel is more of an outside guy. I, Yeah, the consistency of their third option just isn't there for me on any given game. So it's tough to pin what their ceiling is. Sure. Uh, next random miscellaneous question. With 25 on Thursday and 36 on Saturday, is uh, 61 points the most that someone has scored in a week in or in a three or four day period in Spanish league history, considering that games aren't aren't postponed a whole lot? Um, I like you don't know the answer to that. I do don't you? know the answer. Well, there was a good number of games postponed last year and rescheduled, right? And Philipski was averaging like 46 a game. <laughs> so I, I would say there's a reasonable case that if there is that record out there, and if anyone knows, please let us know. Uh, I would say Terry probably has it by virtue of having played in Spain for so long. 
Yeah. Um, and like having streaks that if we're talking about within a week and we're talking about the fact that he had a streak last year that he had like a couple of 40s in a row. Yeah. If one of those yeah. games was late and the other one was early, that's technically within a week. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I um it happened. I would say if Terry hasn't done it this time, Terry probably does hold the record on another occasion. And outside of him, it was probably Filipski from his Burgos year. Potentially. I just don't know like if like going back ages ago in the league there were ever like Sundays and Saturdays or you know what I mean? Like I don't yeah, yeah. I just randomly had that thought of like, well, that's that's a 25 and a 36. In It'd be good days. to know, actually, because Terry knows loads of records about himself. He'd, he'd, <laughs> I'm sure we could get Terry back on here and he could tell us, like, he could probably rank the top 10 because he might have, like, seven of them. <laughs> he's just written down a little yeah. paper in his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, um, also, Greg going three from 11 on Thursday and then nine from 15 to have 20 is, like, just exactly what you'd expect but also i was speaking to him after that game and he was like yeah that was good everyone played well except me i didn't shoot the ball well and i was like ah you're greg warburton you'll be fine like yeah they <laughs> might even still jump your next game <laughs> potentially yeah. But yeah it was weird that they like i don't know why or what the crack is in terms of like there could be just be a perfectly reasonable sort of explanation for this stuff but having a game on Thursday and a game on Saturday and two different starting lineups is interesting to me. They started um, Danny Diaz and Sarah Vuelta on Saturday yeah. instead of Amadou and um, Pablo Lavandera, which is like, fine, I got the job done anyway. But I just like, I wonder if it was like, we've had this many games in, like we have two close games and these guys are feeling it a bit more or like, was it like rotating your ones or... Yeah, yeah. Just like randomly, I was like, "Oh, that's that's interesting to like be tinkering with that at this point." Because there's a really fine line between like if it goes well, someone's like, "Wow, this is adapting and it's coaching," and it's like, you know, when people talk about like playoff style adjustments in the NBA. Whereas like if you're mucking around with it and it doesn't work, it's like, ah, this guy doesn't know what he wants. Yeah. So, <laughs> like one now that you've won those two games, it's 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 a good thing. But you know what I mean? I just. I just noticed that and was like, oh, that's that's a strange thing to have done. Yeah, I guess this. Uh, we've talked, I think, prior to this week about how the Spanish season is kind of chunked into, you know, there's a stretch of stronger team plays weaker team and then it transitions into seemingly all the weaker teams playing each other while all the stronger teams playing each other. So maybe this was kind of Illunion's last relatively consequence-free way of trying this lineup out before they get to the stiffer competition. Yeah, you're right. Could just be trying to get it going. Correct. Yeah. Right. Shall we move on to the next one? Yes. Is the next one Ami Ababaseti 91 uh, Fundacion Vital Zuzinak 48 by any chance? It certainly is. It's almost wow. like, like we coordinate these ahead of time after we got that slight gripe from Tom Smith. Yeah, it's almost like we do this on purpose only after being pulled up on it. <laughs> it's almost as like it's almost like we deeply care about this once you've mentioned it. To it's, us. it's almost like we've suddenly decided very recently that we actually do really care about making this good and not just for us. Yes. Okay. Uh, did you watch this game? I yeah, gave this a skim and not 
a lot to report, to be honest. Um, this yeah. played out exactly like you would expect Albacete and Zuznak to play out. Um, yeah, I mean, Gaz came off... Albacete played again this weekend, for uh, which we'll get to in a second. But Gaz came off the bench both times and he had 21 in this game and I think 11 in the other game as well. So I think there's a there's a reasonable case to be made that coming off the bench doesn't make world-class shooters go cold. Yeah, when you've got when you've got it and have had it for that long, you're probably able to find yeah. the hole like without needing too many shots to go in in a warm-up for you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, um, probably, especially no like no harm to Zuzanak, but especially against lower resistance, like you're probably getting decent looks. Yeah. And he's been making them for certainly far longer than we've been talking about it. Yeah. Um, I guess the only Zuzanak point to make is that we did a, a tiny bit of a dive on kind of the Jose Leap scouting report on last week's episode about how most teams try and take him off the three-point line and force him inside because he's so small that it's kind of easier to pressure a shot at short range. And it's yeah. a little bit weird because Albacete, with all the size and mobility they have, gave up 23 points to Jose Leap and more or less no points to anyone else on that team. Um, so they, I mean, obviously, I think there's an element in these very one-sided games where either lack of focus from the dominant team or lack of concern from the very undermanned team where the the guy who can generate offense is like well if I get even a semi-open look that I might not shoot normally this is just going to fly because we might not get anything better yeah yeah I think there is like a lot of it's just maybe all of a sudden just be like okay let's go home like (laughs) I, I had a conversation like that in the fourth quarter of our game at one point where people were going back and forward with the referee and I was like it's three and a half minutes. Like, let's... Hey, guys, you do know there's a bar upstairs, right? <laughs> the quick. Hey, it's my birthday tomorrow. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was it, no, it wasn't that. Like, that's there was no level of disrespect, but it was more like what, like we're up however many with fifteen. Like, I guarantee you, yeah. the refs could blow whatever they want in the next three minutes, and if we just play basketball, like for six more plays, we're probably all right. Like, yeah. but. Yeah, I, I do think there's a certain amount of like, all right, let's go in and get this done. And yeah, obviously Leap can get going, but it doesn't matter a whole lot if no one else does. Yeah, so that was kind of that one. And we won't sink too much further into that because we've got another Zuzanak game coming up right now. So this one was... <laughs> you up right now and then pausing. Sounds like those podcasts that leave a gap for an ad. And then don't put one in. Oh yeah, should oh, we? Throw, okay, we'll take a break. Should we throw in a Casper mattresses ad while we're here? See if we can reverse engineer it. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, you <laughs> like makeup brands. Yeah, <laughs> that'd, that'd be brilliant. Um, yeah, so Zuzanak also played on the Sunday where they were away to Malaga. So long road trip for Zuzanak. Actually, I hadn't thought of that side of things. They've Horrendous. Yeah. Um, Having driven from the north of Spain to down that area, not great. Yeah. <laughs> not a fun time. Yeah. Um, so this was, I think you look at the Albacete scoreline and it's obviously a more talented team being relatively clinical against a less talented team. And I think yeah. this Malaga and Zuzanak game was a more talented team 
showing maybe not the level of experience that Albacete have and being less clinical and a little bit, hey, we'll just show up, win this one and go home. And it turned out a little bit scrappy as a result. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jaime Espasa being three from 13, which he's normally, or at least this season, has been a lot more consistent than that. Um, Abdi two from eight, but plus 31 in 27 minutes. So yeah. in the 12 minutes that Abdi didn't play, Zuzanak drew even with Malaga, which is preposterous. Yes. That's nuts. Um, and yeah, our guy Cosarina kind of carrying the load for Malaga on this one. Uh, 20 points on seven from 13 and 10 rebounds as well. So he's coming along nice, man. He seems to have. I don't know if this is like maybe some false progression from us because he's had like big games against a couple of big teams and we're like, maybe he's arrived and he's now had 20 against an objectively not very good team. Maybe we're kind of spotting the pattern we want to see, but he's put up enough points enough times now that I think you can say it's legit. Yeah. He's been like pretty good all year, 13 points a game, uh, 13 and seven for a young guy. He's massive and will probably get better because he's young and he will still be massive. So, like, yeah, he's going to be good, I think. He already is, like, as I say, like, contributing at that level. Yeah, Yeah. and his his kind of finishing percentages are kind of sorely needed for Malaga, who, outside of Abdi, who's one of the most consistent percentage shooters in the world, but doesn't generate a lot of offense for himself, a lot of their shot creation guys are a little bit erratic, as we saw from Esparza today. And Pete Kuzak has really hot stretches and really cold stretches still, because he's sure. only a young guy. I think that's expected. But there is very kind of calm and collected for how young he is. And I think they need that in a lot of these games. Yeah, on account of being massive and being aware that no one, a bar like five guys in the league, are going to get near it yeah. once he puts the ball up above his head to shoot it. Yeah, that's fair. And Barca can make shots, but he's wild. Like, he's taken some of the most, like, what is happening here? Like, the no-no yes shots. (laughs) He's like Flacco from their last few seasons, just reincarnate. He's like, hey, that guy was Mexican and took wild shots. Allow me. Yeah. It's Um, cool, man. Like, you can shoot whatever you want if they go in. Like, yeah. Nah, didn't have a good one today. Didn't need it. And not a whole lot, again, on the Zuzanak side. Uh, Jose Leap with 11 this time. And 12 for Adrian Garcia. But, yeah, 12 from 49 shooting. Yeah, I know we talked about Malaga being a little bit erratic, but they literally made twice the number of shots that the opposing team did. And as a result, the score is almost exactly double. Correct. Yes, it's Matt's. funny that ball going in basket is a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, let's not overthink it. No, let's um, overthink it on the podcast. Give people nothing. Just be like, ah, make <laughs> me. Right, last Spanish league game. So this was a Sunday game as well and continued a pretty hectic week for Amviv, who we just spoke about losing to Ilunion. And they, for their troubles, got the joy of a 74-56. <laughs> Not as close as it looked. Lost to Albacete, I think, is probably the best way to put this. 
Yeah, I remember looking at the fixtures and being like, oh man, yeah, like there's something one. there's something about getting them both out of the way, but also that's that's a tough weekend for my guys. <laughs> like yeah, it's rough. And we we did the whole Romo Alejos shot collection thing, which we I think we do nearly weekly at this point. Yes. And they got up. Let's do some quick maths here. 13 shots for Romo, 19 for Alejos. So they got 32 shots up, seven of them being threes. Um, oh, got to do that each. Yeah, they were. I don't, like also, we say this all the time. I don't know if that's actually true, but man, I'd love to see yeah. a team the like 60 shots with two guys taking 57 of them or yeah. something. I would like, I don't think either of those guys listen to us. So I think Fabian Romo possibly does follow us, but I don't know if he listens. Um, I would love him to like rock up to Vigo training one week and be like, hey, I've just heard these guys who sound like they don't know what they're talking about, but let's give this a try. What if we just take 30 shots each? Yeah, just to think of like someone being like, these guys who haven't done anything, nor do we have any proof that they actually know what they're talking about, have, uh, have, have an idea. What do we think? Should we try it? <laughs> the idea that like, established like Spanish league players and international guys and coaches would be like, yeah, why not? He's hilarious to me. Let's rein it back in. Yeah. Five guys in double figures for Albacete. Yep. Um, Kyle with Kyle 21. 18. Yeah. 21, eight for me, 18. Uh, Losing his grip on the scoring title a little bit. though, with Terry going off. Yeah, well, when you have 61 in a week, it's, it's going to do it. But they've also had games suspended. Well, this was a makeup game, yeah, obviously. Sure. But yeah, I would love, because you see it happening in the NBA every so often, I would love a scenario where scoring title was actually in the balance and two teams of the players that were competing for it were playing bad teams and they actually just played into it yeah. and tried to go for 100. <laughs> like, wasn't it, wasn't it David Robinson? And Shaq? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, there was the and someone, sorry, no, I don't think Shaq's correct, but there was the James Harden streak a few years ago as well, where he had it was like, oh my god, he's had 30 points in 28 consecutive games. And it's like, yeah, but they're beating teams by 47 and they're playing in like 46 minutes a game. Like yeah. and then I think the end of that game, Atlanta like quadruple teamed him on the last possession when the game was like well and truly over, just because they're like, this guy's not getting a shot up. So yeah. I think I'm always happy to not see that kind of pettiness go ahead. And I think Albacete are probably good enough that Kyle isn't too worried about Terry having surpassed him for scoring. Oh yeah, I, I don't think I don't think anyone really cares about like top score because like NBA guys care about it because it's probably worth about three million to them. Yeah. A lot of times. But yeah, no, I would just like selfishly, I'd love two guys to be both averaging the same on the last day of the season. The season to be like done in terms of league standings and those like just two guys taking 40 shots each to see what could happen. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. All right. Nothing really else to go on for this. Yeah. Game. I think the the last point from this game to kind of outline what we spoke about with Vigo in the previous one, we spoke about Vigo not having a lot of inside presence. And then you look on the flip side of this for Albacete and Lee and Ben, who are probably there two preeminent inside players with Alejandro not playing this year, were combined 13 from 19. Yeah. Like that's, you know, 
26 points on 65% shooting that Vigo really have no option. They aren't like, oh, well, we can counteract that with these couple of guys. No. It's, it's not in the cards for the men. So have it now. Yeah. Right. Shall we jump over to Germany? Yes. And surprising candidate for game of the week. Cologne, 71. Hanover United, 70. After overtime. This was bizarre. Chaos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the best Rick revenge game. Yeah. Oh, you beat me to it. That was what I was going to call this one. Um, but yeah, this was nuts, man. I mean, Joe did his usual thing of knocking shots down like he does. Uh, there's a young German kid who plays for Cologne whose name is Thomas Raya. I think that's how you say that. I haven't spoken any German in over 10 years. Um, I have never, so I won't correct you. Um, he made some huge shots, man. He kind of carried Cologne through some tough possessions where they where Hanover were loading up on Joe. Um, and this game really... Amit Vigoda did his thing and had 16 in the first half, but he only finished with 18 in the game. So super quiet second half. And I don't know if you can tell from the German stats, did he foul out? I don't think he did. Um, but they sat they sat him out for a good portion of the game. I think that possibly showed where they're struggling with points without Mariska around to take the kind of women's deficit. Um Jan Gans did a lot of the kind of stepping up and being like, hey, don't worry, guys, I'll get us through this. And he I got it. <laughs> he missed a lot of makeable shots in kind of the last two minutes of regulation and then the overtime. And Hanover actually got a lot of cracks at it, man. They ran some plays to close the game out when they were down one a couple of times. Jan Sadler had a massive finish. And I think even on their last offense, it got kind of knocked out of bounds and they got three cracks at it. And yeah, well, the last one doesn't really count. Jan Haller had to shoot a like fadeaway over a big guard. I know he's got like extendable arms, but that's not the shot you want to win you the game. But they had to take it with about a second left. Um, yeah, yeah this was back to the apple is tough because I remember watching it and I knew the sort of fourth quarter score and then the final score and so I saw Joe Beswick obviously knocked on the two free throws to to tie it and I just remember being like oh they don't get like they had 30 seconds left I was like oh okay you guys get nothing out of this but ah, a couple of all right looks yeah they got some looks they didn't make them but I think I think this was like the the example game of by the time you've let the other team back in to tie it, they've kind of won it by default because I think Hanover had enough cracks at really putting it away when they were kind of six or eight points up and were maybe two made baskets away from it being out of reach that they didn't capitalize on. And I think that stays with you when the other teams then all the way back to tied up and you have to play five more minutes. Yeah. And that's yeah, kind, it's, kind yeah. of what this one was for me. Are you a believer in momentum in that regard? Uh, I don't know if it's momentum as much as it's the psychological element of it when you're kind of like, it's tough ask. I don't remember at what point Hanover were up by six or eight, but let's say that's with five minutes left in regulation. It feels a lot more daunting from their perspective to say, oh, great, now we have to go five more minutes with a team that just 
outscored us by eight points in the last five minute stretch. Yeah. And I think that plays on the mind a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a thing maybe, of like over the average just of, made shots. Yeah, over the average of it, you're playing against a team that you've just played even for 40 minutes, but yeah. you're kind of thinking that you're playing the team that's 8-0 against you for the last three. Yeah. But yeah, man, um, last play of the game, Hanover, like in overtime as well, Hanover had a couple of chances. It was a lot of like ball in one wing. Are they going to jump? No, skip, 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 skip. Okay, somebody's got to shoot it. And it was like a clean enough look, but yeah. yeah. A lot of bit, a lot of missed shots, man. And I think, like I say, I think this would have gone differently had the lineup flexibility been available to Hanover. But I also don't think Cologne are going to be saying, "Oh well, we wouldn't have beaten them if Mariska wasn't there." I think Cologne are like, "Hey, we won this game after being down. Sucks to be you guys." Yeah, they'd be like, "Hey, we'll have your points in the league standings, please." Yeah, <laughs> none of that stuff. All right, right. fair enough. Next game, RSB Turingia Bulls 103 <laughs> and Skywheelers 28. I think Turingian get 100 more than anyone. They do. Yes. For sure. I think that it might be just like massive and athletic. Like in blowouts, they'll get more layups at a higher pace than yeah. any team. Like a lot of teams will get to 80s and 90s in blowouts, but they seem to creep over 100 more than, than anyone. Yeah. Uh, that I think watching this, you would never in a million years think that Skywheelers were the team that put 94 on Hamburg, although that was in a loss as well, I guess. Um, but I think with Thuringen, you very rarely see them take a bad shot or an up-against-the-shot-clock pressured shot, even yeah, against good need, teams. You've got giants who can shoot mismatches. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so when they don't even get forced into bad shots against the good defensive teams, there probably wasn't much of a puncher's chance for the Skywheelers in this one. No. Shall we rattle off the Thuringen stats? Because they got double figures from four guys. Uh, so they got 33 from Alex Luski, about standard. Um, 19 from Joachim Linden, 17 from Vahid Golamazad, and 12 from Andre Binek, and yet nine from Jens Albrecht as well. So that's verging on double figures. It is, so yes. I think far for double figures, close enough. Even if you combine the scores of their two guys who got the lowest double digit scoring totals, that outscores the Skywheelers team total by itself. So that probably tells us what we need to know here. Um, Skywheelers led with eight points from Kim Robbins. It's probably not going to stack up. Hate to be the bearer no, of bad news. No. Hate to be the Durangin bearer of bad excellent. facts. Yes. Um, Turingen are excellent at steamrolling teams. They're also very good at playing good teams well, but like, yeah. they're unbelievable at just being like, hey, we're going to beat this team by 107. Yeah, they I don't Which isn't know what, really a useful skill. Like yeah, relentlessness is a skill and a good practice. And I think this is the kind of stuff that happened in the British League a while ago, and people were like, hey, you shouldn't be beating these overmatched teams by so many. And it's like, well, would you know, Thuringen aren't looking at these guys and saying, Hey, it would really benefit them if we played down to their level. It's yeah. a pro- the it's thing a is as well, league. is they don't have 
scrubs at the bottom of their bench really yeah. like they don't roll out like that last five minutes of a blowout lineup that some teams have that it's like 12 and a half points like three young people and yeah. like a couple of lows you know what i mean like they don't have that to roll out so you're kind of decent level of size and basketball skill and competency and ability and scoring sure. on the floor at all times if you were to roll out the weakest five they can, it would probably still include Carlos Podniaks, um Hubert Hager, who is actually pretty good, I think is Austrian. Yeah, it would include at least those two and probably Dylan Fishback as well. And it's like that Dylan Fishback, I'm pretty sure, had 40 in a game earlier this year. So yeah, he would yeah, light you up. I do want to see that. I do want to see him just like let loose in a blowout and like have that hey, go and try and take 40 shots. Like, yeah. But yeah. Wow. I am I am a massive proponent of high shot volumes, apparently. Not yet <laughs> in my life, but I just think it's fun. Okay. Next game. I just think it's neat. <laughs> okay, <laughs> next game. Landon. Before we move on, when's the James McSorley 40 shot attempt game coming? Uh never. <laughs> Because I think my ceiling of makes is like three, no matter what. Like, <laughs> like I've tried to scale it up, and the shot attempts has moved up, but the makes haven't. So oh, um, uh, we'll see. It's in progress. It's in progress. It looks better on a Tuesday afternoon, and it's not looking any better on a Saturday yet. So I think I might be doing something wrong. We'll okay. figure it out. Okay. Next game, Landil ninety, Hamburg forty-three. Yep. Landil are very good. <laughs> yeah. Just going back to the point we made about throwing before we get into the details of La- of how Landil dismantled Hamburg, who wins a bottom five guys on the roster game between Landil and Thuringen if none of their regular rotation guys or favoured rotation guys are able to play? Maybe Landil, honestly. I don't want to I don't want to get into it too much because I don't want to be like actively naming someone as bottom five yeah. player on their team, but like, yeah, probably Landil, I would say, but it's close. That, that would that'd make an actually good game to watch, which is ridiculous, and I don't think it's true of any other wheelchair basketball teams. No. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, 34 for Hero Kozai, 14 for Thomas Burma, 13 for Dominic Mosler, 10 for Brian Bell. And Hamburg, who have been putting up numbers in their last few games, and I don't think have gone under 90 for about three straight weeks at this point. We're held to 43 points total. Um, and Moji Kamali was getting harassed. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because we did this last week and I did the monologue about Vigoda and I was like, maybe they recognize the talent and want to stamp out the, hey, this is my league now kind of thing. And I thought I believed that, and then I watched what they did to Kamali, and I was like, "Oh no, maybe they just make a point of doing this to the best player on the other team, and maybe that's not a terrible game plan." Maybe they've kind of realized that, yeah, like I think there is a certain amount of like wheelchair basketball more than able-bodied basketball. I think is very like, hey, you take this guy away, and it all stops, and it is a natural part of the classification system that if yeah. you pull a four five scoring away from what the five on the floor are doing, that kind of, it's a case of, can you pass out of a double and hope the other four guys are going to do it? But the other four guys in the NBA, for example, are 
in theory, as able as you and our yeah. four NBA players, but kind of, yeah, I don't know, the sort of heliocentricity of the wheelchair basketball offense up to a certain level means that if you can just stamp someone's contribution and scoring out. I would like to know, having seen these games from Landale against these kind of high-scoring guys the last couple of weeks, I would like to know what it's like to be in the shoes of Kamali or Vigoda when you're going in to play this team and be like, hey, there's a good chance I get no shots up all game. I mean, that wasn't happening with Kamali because he was like minute one. He was like, uh, I have a 19-foot fadeaway over two people. This can go. Yeah, he had that shot where he pushed towards the right baseline. Someone kind of half fumbled the ball. So he turned back up the floor as if he was going to go get it, took two bushes up. They got the ball recovered. So he like was sort of offset high from the screen. I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well, but he was facing up towards the end. He was defending, took a pull back towards the baseline. He was playing offense towards. So his right shoulder was still squared up from the basket, got a pass and just in movement while he was level with the screen, just was like, ah, this is probably the shot I'm going to get up. So he just let it fly and it went in, which is like, yeah, that's the, the just defensively. They're just unbelievable. They're so mobile and agile and intelligent yeah. between what Simon and Hirokozai and um, the rest yeah, of them do. Even Yannick, man, when they send Yannick out as the first line of defense on a guy like Kamali, expecting Yannick will get picked off and they can then blitz from that point. It's like, hey, Yannick's a better chair defender than like maybe 75% of people in the world. Yeah. Yannick is not on this score sheet and I only watched half the game once again on account of being busy slash semi-intoxicated slash whatever. Did he play? Uh, He was there. The portion of the game I saw, I... Didn't see him play. He definitely was there, although they didn't start Tommy either. So I wonder if they were doing some lineup weirdness or if Yannick was unavailable, perhaps. Um, okay. but yeah, yeah. I, I was watching it being like, oh, this is this is an interesting, but I didn't know yeah. if they were trying some stuff for because obviously they play Turngan next week, don't they? Sure. Yeah. Maybe he's um, heard that Tom's episode's catching him up in terms of listens. So he's gone to beat the fear into some people to go back and listen to his episode. He's going to cut some wires somewhere. <laughs> He's going to sneak into somewhere, like rappel down into some sort of movie prop server with wires that you're not allowed to touch or it sets an alarm off. And he's yeah. going to cut some wires. <laughs> wow. And on Stupid. that note, I think we've wrapped up all of today's, all of this weekend's games. And on that note, my brain is obviously turning to mush. So mush. Yeah, we'll call it there. Cool, we will. I think we got through that pretty well. Good, effective roundup. Um, We have... This is coming out. We're recording this on Monday because obviously we're a day late because James insisted on celebrating his birthday like someone who doesn't run a podcast for no money. Um, I insisted, yes. I, I meant to ask you about this actually to open the episode up, but... When I posted saying, did people want it Sunday night or Monday morning? And Anna replied to the thing being like, upload solo, you coward. Was that Anna or was that you? That was Anna. (laughs) (laughs) She she Uh, was like, oh, he left me on red. What? (laughs) Oh, well, I think she she replied that 
And then Mendel just replied and was like, no. So it's like, I'm not taking this harassment anymore. I was trying to be good to our listeners and they're being difficult. So, yeah, this is going to go up. I think the poll said that people mostly seem to want it on Tuesday morning. So we'll post this first thing on Tuesday morning and it will be available then. We don't have a guest episode this Thursday, but as James just alluded to, it is Landil and Thuringen this weekend. And next Thursday, we will be plucking somebody in straight from the battlefield. So keep your eyes peeled. Yes. Okay. Um, thank you very much for listening. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Have a good week. Have a good one. Cheers, everybody. Peace.